Accounting Influencers Broadcast Network presents Success in Accounting. Sponsored by Dext. Welcome to our Success in Accounting podcast. On behalf of the Accounting Influencers Podcast Network, we're going out to 150 countries and 30,000 accounting professionals and fintech people all over the world. We are continuing with our series of women in leadership panels for the accounting and fintech profession and talking about various diversity and leadership issues. I'm thrilled to have with me today three really interesting and authoritative guests. I'll get them to introduce themselves in just a moment. But what is the context for this? We know that there are more women in accounting than men, and probably the same in fintech, although I can't prove that. What we do know also is that women in leadership roles are very underrepresented, and it has traditionally been a man's world. Things are changing. We're a lot more woke. We're a lot more accepting. We're a lot more sensitive. We're a lot less prejudiced. But the more we go on with the world that we're in, the more challenging it is, the more uncertain things are, and the more we need strong voices representing all aspects of the profession. So... Without further ado, I'm going to ask Amy to kick us off and then Nicole and then Sue, just with a little introduction so our listeners and our watchers, because this will be on YouTube, know exactly who's talking to us today. So Amy, welcome. Hi, Rob, and thank you so much for having me today. I'm really excited to be here. And just to give you a little bit of background on myself, my name is Amy, as you said. I am head of the accounting channel of Capitalize here in the UK. So that is working on bringing new accounting firms on board, but also our existing client base. Um, Been here about five five years. And what we do is we help accounting firms get closer to their clients through rolling out um, financial improvement tools. This is such as credit improvement, raising finance, recovering bad debts to really help them get in a good position. So I spent a long time um, working with accountants. So excited to be here today and chat that through. That's great. And it's wonderful to have the software industry represented because they are in the accounting ecosystem Take Walter's Kluwer, they have a market cap of 25 billion. Take Sage, they have similar and Intuit. These people are massive and they run Super Bowl ads at millions at a time. So they're as big as some of the big four accounting firms and this is the world that they work in. So having you representing that, Emmy, is wonderful. Nicole, great to have you with us. A little introduction from you, please. Hi, Rob. It's great to be here. Uh, My name is Nicole Sterling. I am the president of the Association for Accounting Marketing Um, A little about AIM, our mission is to elevate the career development of our members um, in the accounting industry and the advisory profession. Uh, We do innovative education. We have a lot of community resources. Uh, We consider AIM a leading resource for professionals within accounting firms who impact growth and sustainability. Um, On a side note, I am also the Director of Marketing and Communications for RSW Accounting and Consulting in Montreal, Quebec, Canada. Uh, AIM is actually headquartered in the United States, so it's an international organization. And goodness, it's great to see the marketers of accounting firms represented because now is a great time to be putting out the right kind of messages, building a prior brand and driving growth of a firm. So it's lovely to have you with us. So I'm familiar with uh, your firm, one of the most innovative, progressive uh, firms in the United Kingdom, certainly one of the bigger ones as well. A little introduction from you, please. Thank you very much for inviting me to take part in the panel. So I'm Sue Staunton. I'm managing partner of James Cooper Creston, which is a medium-sized accountancy practice operating out of south of England, London um, and the Thames Valley. And uh, we cover basically pretty much every aspect of accounting 
to support our clients who range from very high net worth individuals who often feature in the Sunday Times Rich List to um, innovative businesses such as technology companies. And we work with a range of companies making very life-changing um, drugs and developments that will help people going forward. So that's very exciting. I love the phrase life-changing in the uh, the world of accountants because they are surrounded. They're standing in the gap right now. There's a lot going on in this uncertain world and accountants are more than trusted advisors in many ways. They are psychotherapists and counsellors and psychiatrists and coaches and shoulders to cry on for their business clients. And there's a lot going on. So uh, I guess you'd go along with that, wouldn't you? Oh, well, definitely. And uh, I think, you know, we, we aim as a practice to be an integral part of our clients' lives. And, and and their businesses so that we can support them as they develop and grow. So Nicole, let's start with you on this one. You're obviously an accountant, but you've got a marketing head on you as well, and you used to communicate in a lot. Why is diversity such an important issue right now? We weren't talking about it 10, 20 years ago, but it seems to be with the DEI agenda, uh, top of the priority list for many organizations. Well, just to one thing, I am not an accountant by trade. I am <laughs> I've worked in the firm for 20, almost 22 years now. So um, I like to say I play an accountant at work, but I am actually not a CPA. But uh, DEI is just good for business right now. Um, there are studies that show that firms that are aware and participate in DEI are more successful. Uh, that was a McKinsey study um, in 2015. The benefits, um, just better group decision making, access to broader range of talent, um, opening for new markets, um, better understanding those markets. So when you enter them, um, it's much easier to grow your business within them. Um, you'd consider more diverse uh, viewpoints and having better motivated employees. Um, it's just really good for business right now if you actually act on DEI and put it in place and actually follow through with it. it. Great for business, but was it great for business 10 years ago? Why weren't we talking about it then? I think probably the technology that's come into place and the fact that your advertising not only goes out on social media to your direct region where you're working, but um, you know anything I put on social media is going as far as the UK, Brazil, Australia, You know, it's going worldwide and people are seeing it. So it's a different marketplace than it was 10, 20 years ago, if you will. Um, I mean, we weren't even using social media 20 years ago. So um, it's just it's something that has got to be put into place and taken very seriously in your firm for your firm to be very successful. So you're running a successful firm. How important is diversity at James Cooper Crest? It's really very fundamental to how we work. Um, I, I think that there, I pick up very much on what Nicole said, that having a diverse workforce um, means that you get the best from a lot of, from a combination of aspects. It means that um, our decision making is very strong because we're we're coming to things from different angles, and therefore I think you know the resolution is much better than than previously where where one might have thought about having group think and very much similar sort of people. So from from our point of view, diversity is extremely important. We run diversity and inclusion workshops uh, using external professionals to help people to understand what's important um, and how to integrate appropriately. And we don't just talk about gender diversity, we talk about a whole panoply of diversities and one of the ones that I'm particularly keen that we need to 
consider and I think a lot of organisations so at the moment don't really think about is actual social diversity so that we have a mix of backgrounds for people who join us um, so that they then relate far better to the mix of backgrounds that our clients come from. You bring up a really good point with social diversity. We had on the show recently two very prominent black uh, personalities in accounting. One was Herschel Frierson. He works for Crow. He's a partner in the US for Crow. And he is head of the National Association of Black Accountants. And the, the other was Professor Anton Lewis. And he works with uh, racial, social inclusion, things like that. And both of them speak to, uh, while we talk about minorities, there are so many different groups that are underrepresented. And social diversity, they spoke about people from the working class, uh, people from blue collar backgrounds being underrepresented. And the essential message was, as I was coming through, there were not people like me that I could look up to and say they are further down the path that we are going. So in that regard, Sue, you're covering the bases and you're saying there's a journey for everybody. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's really important you, you pick up on a point that says, you know, that people should be able to see somebody in the leadership roles who looks like them, who's had the experience, comes from the sort of background and has had the same experiences that they've had. And I think that that is really important for the leadership of the future. And Amy, we've got Nicole here representing the community of marketers in accounting, also in a firm. We've got Sue representing the leadership of a big accounting firm. You're in the fintech space. Is diversity a, a key topic of conversation there too? Yeah, absolutely it is. I mean, I think, um, especially at Capitalize, we're in a very interesting position because we work with accountants but as you said, we are in the fintech space as well. And so um, if we look at women, for example, women are less than 20% leadership across the board in fintech. So, you know, when you say that um, I don't see a lot of people like me, <laughs> um, you know, it's because one in five might be women and that's in a good company. Um, you know, there's some that could be more and some that could be less. And so you really need to make sure that it is a point to focus because, you know, as Nicole touched on as well, um, companies who have greater diversity, especially at their leadership level, tend to be more successful and they tend to be more innovative. You get opinions from a wider range of people, but you know, people who come from different backgrounds also tend to think differently about how you would approach a problem. And so instead of having a whole bunch of groupthink, building a product and then going to market and getting all these different opinions on how to use it, you can get that before you even um, approach um, building something and you can make that a part of what your product is and how you go to market. So I think diversity is really, really important, especially in the fintech space. Let's look at your own careers. And Sue, I'll start with you on this. And we had Maureen Penfold on a panel recently. She's the managing partner at Moore Kingston Smith, uh, the firm that you may be familiar with here in the UK. But it is rare that certainly in my world, I come across female managing partners of, of substantial firms of, of your size. So your career path, has it, has it been typical? Has it been hard? Has it been different? Talk to us a little bit about the journey you've been on. Gosh, my, my career path is perhaps a little unusual. Um, I was with big international accounting practice for 20 years, um, started as an auditor, then went into insolvency and corporate finance, then came back to auditing, then flipped out into a sectorial role within that practice, where I set up the technology specialism with one of the partners there, um, ran that nationally, rolled it out internationally, then into a growth and strategic role within the firm, then got a little bit bored and was offered a role within my current practice, um, to lead the development of their, tech, of their technology specialism, which is important for the Oxfordshire 
Cambridge sort of arc. Um, and push that forward, set up an insolvency practice within our firm, and then over time became managing partner. You sound like it happened by accident. Well, not by accident, but it's it's. I think it's about taking opportunities as they present themselves, and I think all the opportunities that I've had have added towards the ability to have an overarching view of man and how to manage business. But looking back to the 16-year-old Sue Staunton, as you may have been then if you went married, and did you want to be something where you had a voice? Did you look at this profession at some point and think, I want to be a managing partner? If I'm absolutely honest, before I went to university or even after I went to university, I never wanted to be an accountant. That was absolutely the last thing on my list. <laughs> but I always wanted to make a difference and to run a business. You've certainly followed that path there. I wonder if there's any role models along the way. I may come back to you on that and pivotal points in that journey. Amy, tell us a little bit about your journey. You're probably the youngest person here, dare I say, and uh, you're one of the younger generation, but you're blazing your own trail there. How have you got to where you are? Yeah, absolutely. So I think I probably had an interesting career path in that um, I was living in Canada and I was in my same job I'd been in forever. I've always worked in sales and I really wanted to change. So I didn't come to the UK with a job or for a master's program. I just packed up a suitcase. Um, I had a five-year ancestry visa and I moved and I just thought, I'll figure it out when I get there. And so I had heard about FinTech and I thought it was quite interesting. So that's the career path I pursued. So I went to work for a lender. Um, and then from there, I was in a sales role. And then actually a former colleague who had moved over to Capitalize said, we've got a role coming up. And we were only a team of about six people at that point in time. And he was um, saying that we really want to change how small business take out finance. We really want to work with accountants. We believe they're the right people to be offering this kind of advice. Do you want to take the chance and come? So I said, all right, why not? I have nothing to lose. And since then, um, I've managed to go from managing a portfolio of accountants into um, running the account management team and then taking over actually the whole accounting channel um, here in the UK. So it's been really exciting over the last five years. Um, there's been lots and lots of career development, but I also think it's really given me um, the perspective of how important it is to develop the people and the talent you have within the business and give equal opportunity because I came to the UK with nothing, no nepotism, no contacts and had to make it in my own um, way. And so I think that really helps to encourage how I work with my teams as well. And it sounds, Nicole, here like we've got two other panelists that have taken the chances and seized their opportunities and been intentional with where they go next. Talk to us a little bit about your journey. Uh, my journey is kind of similar to Amy's. Um, I grew up in New York. Um, I worked there for a good time after university. And I up and moved to Montreal, Quebec, Canada. Um, didn't speak French, uh, didn't really have a job in mind, if you will. Um, I came here, I wound up getting a North American free trade visa, and I started working in the consulting division in the firm that I work in now. Um, and not knowing anybody, not knowing the language, the culture, it's a complete adjustment, right? And you have to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and really figure out what you're going to do with yourself to be successful. Um, I started working in my firm. I moved into the director of communications, marketing and communications role. 
And I got involved with the Association for Accounting Marketing. And one of the reasons why is there's when you work in a firm, accountants aren't necessarily marketers. They have a different analytical mind than marketers. So there was no support system. There was no going to somebody to ask for questions or input or things like that. Uh, not to say that my partners weren't helpful, but it was just a different mindset. Uh, so I started working with the Account Association for Accounting Marketing in 2015. They asked me to take over their website committee. Um, and from that journey in 2018, I moved on to the board to help lead the strategic direction of the association. And now I am currently the president of the association. Um, and it's fun because I get to look at uh, the strategic direction of the association, what we're going to be teaching our you know, various firms throughout the U.S., Canada. Uh, we have a few firms in the U.K. that are members. Uh, what we're going to teach them for their professional development. What are the hot trends happening? What do they need to know? Um, last year, we created a DEI toolkit to help firms implement DEI within their firms and how marketers and business developers can help lead that and be the champion of it within their firms. So, um, it's been a very unique um, change of career path in New York. I came from being um, a legislative aide in the New York State Senate to the accounting industry, which is a complete change. So, um, but it's been a fun change. I've enjoyed what I've learned and I enjoy learning every single day, all of the new things that are happening in the industry. And that's three quite different journeys in a way. I'm hearing a couple of things. I'm hearing they asked me to and they invited me to, which means that you've worked your way up and earned the right to be invited to certain positions. But I'm also hearing I then volunteered or I applied for or I went for or I became, meaning you've not been invited. You did it off your own back. You were very purposeful in, in what you were doing. So just reflecting on that, have there been any pivotal points or people that have helped you along the way on your career journey? I'll just throw that out to all three of you. I would definitely say yes. Um, I'd say one of the biggest ones is my managing partner. Um, here I was an American in Montreal, you know, on a visa, a North American free trade visa, um, and he took a shot on me. Um, and I've been with the firm ever since. This is actually my first job in Canada. Um, I've stayed with them and helped them grow their business. Uh, the other one I would say is the executive director at the time of the association. Uh, when they first came to me and asked me to take over the website committee, I was like, are you nuts? Like, I don't have the technology background for that. And they're like, you have the background, you just don't even realize it yet. And um, from them kind of put, not pushing me, but do you know what I'm saying? Like championing me, championing me into that position. Um, if they hadn't done that, I probably wouldn't be, you know, the president of the association right now. So. And Sue, in your journey, you spoke of your priorities with technology, corporate finance, insolvency, you made yourself very employable. So probably wasn't likely that somebody took a punt on you or gave you a shot because you were, you were very, uh, promising and safe hire, I would think. I think it's an interesting, interesting point, Rob, because actually at the time when I started training, which is which was quite a long time ago, um, you know, the stereotypical woman in accountancy was fairly much a non-disruptor, um, and you know, you would. I mean, when I started, I talked to some of my team now. You know, so I say when I started work, women had to wear skirts and you had to wear a suit and you had to fit, basically be a female version of the male accountancy profession. You couldn't be different and, and, and look different and behave differently. And actually, you know, you had to sort of, so when I was in the insolvency world, 
in those days when I initially did insolvency, you know, your way of surviving as a woman was basically to be more male than a man, which isn't necessarily a great, great thing to do because you're not necessarily being being yourself. It's the defeminizing of your approach, isn't it, in a way? Yes, I guess so. Um, so over the years, I've been delighted that as I, you know, I've been able to sort of forge my own way, and I've I've been fortunate that people have let me do that. I've had the space in, in the practices I've, I've worked in to seize opportunities that I've seen um, and to work collaboratively with people. But also now, you know, as managing partner within uh, my own firm, we've made a lot of changes over the last few years. So. You know, we, I look. I'm just looking out to my right now because I can see some of my team out there, and you know, they're very diverse. They they wear what they feel comfortable wearing. Uh, they they even work in the way that's comfortable to them. So some of them are sat out there at the moment with earphones on. And it's not because they're on Teams calls because they're listening to music or podcasts or something like that. Whilst they're still actually do, doing their work. Now, if I roll back time to when I started training, and I can remember a, a aged partner saying. Point, oh, you're lucky to be paid to be doing this job because in my day we used to have to pay to be allowed into the accountancy profession. Um, you know, that would have been they would have been horrified at that degree of flexibility and so on that we that we afford people. But by doing that, we've got a much stronger workforce. Um, people in, hopefully enjoy coming to work here. And I think that's that's the sort of things that have that have changed. Well, I'm shocked and horrified, Sue, that you're not making your people wear bowler hats and three three-piece suits and pinstripes and everything else and ties. I mean, what is the world coming to? When my mother started working in the city in the 1950s, which was also a very long time ago, she um, had to wear white gloves every day, which given that it was in the middle of the smog, you know, they had to be washed every day as well. Goodness. Well, the great stories. Let's talk about your leadership style. Amy, let's ask you, you're leading a team there now, you're building out the accounting channel. Talk to us about your style, how you approach leading. Of course. I mean, I think this is an interesting one, but um, I always like to approach my leadership style as using radical candor. So this is very much so telling people the truth always, but also letting them know that you care about them, that you care about their development, and they know exactly where they stand. And I think when the people around you know that you, pardon my French, but like give a shit about where they're going and that you're encouraging them to get to the next stage in their career, I think they're much more receptive to feedback as well because they know where why you're doing it. Um, but I also just like to be very open, honest, candid, and always create open spaces as well for conversation. Um, you know, I think one thing that's come out as well in terms of feedback at some point in time was you have introverts versus extroverts, which you might not be thinking about all the time. And so some of the things that I do is when you're in a room, instead of just letting the loudest people speak, you actually have to stop and let every single person in the room give their opinion before you can say anything. And it's just making sure that everybody feels like they have that space in order to be heard, um, which I think is really important. I think another thing that we do here at Capitalize that's really, really important for me is um, pay benchmarking and equal pay. So every single person is leveled on a, uh, on a, a calculator effectively. And wherever they sit on that calculator, every single person gets the same wage. So we are really, really trying to close the gender pay gap and ensuring that people um, are paid for the work that they do, um, not for their gender effectively. And I think that really, really helps to inspire people and get the best because you don't have those underlying feelings of, 
oh, why does somebody get more than I do? <laughs> um, so, you know, those are some of the things that are really important in just making sure that everybody knows they're on an equal stance. Uh, and Nicole, I'm thinking of an anecdote about Steve Jobs, formerly of Apple, who's passed on now. But apparently from the people close to him, he was very caustic to work with. He was quite aggressive. And Amy spoke about radical candor. When he was questioned about this, he said, it's only because I want the thing that we're working on to be better. And that was his driving objective. And he made his language and his caring, empathetic attitude subservient to making that thing better. So it didn't care how he came across. It was all for the greater good. So different ways of working. How do you describe your leadership style? I'm kind of, I'm from New York, so I don't have a filter. Um, <laughs> so I'm pretty honest um, and outspoken. So. Um, I'm a servient and transformational leadership type. Like I like to get things done. I like, I like change. Um, and I'm not afraid to speak up against the people that are against the change and obviously give those points out. Um, but um, I have, I'm open to new thinking um, and I have a talent for broadening people's minds. Um, you know, once you get, you come out with whatever you're going against and you start explaining the factors why we should do something a different way, um, it opens people's eyes quite often. Um, I have a lot of trust in my team members. Um, so I think that's another, when you instill trust in people, it gives them that ability to exceed in their role and in their position. Um, and I like to inspire people. Uh, one of the things that Amy said is when we're planning something, um, when I worked on my committees with the association, I interviewed every single committee member and asked them about themselves, what they like to do, what they absolutely hate to do. Um, you know, what what do they find fun um, so that when we were handing out assignments or projects or whatever it was, I was actually meeting their needs and not my own. Um, so I find when you're working closely with your team and you understand who they are and what they like to do, it makes things progress that much faster and that much easier. So let's ask about your leadership style. I've interviewed many strong female leaders and there are those formidable female types of whom men say you don't want to mess with her. Now, I, I won't use the phrase Rottweiler, but you get the idea that these are very strong, imposing women. And then we get other female leaders that are a very empathetic, compassionate, authentic, often vulnerable, and they bring a, a different caring style of leadership to the table, which is also really welcomed. Tell us a bit about your style. That's interesting. It was very interesting hearing to Nicole and what she was saying about empathy and you know understanding uh, each of the members of staff who work for her. And I think I think that's that to me is really important. It's about spending time with the team, and we're rolling out. You know, increasingly, we talk about maximizing potential. We talk about that for our clients. We talk about it really importantly for people inside our organizations. So I think, you know, historically, the accounting profession has always been very linear in its view of its staff, by which I mean that everybody ought to be aspiring all the time, you know, from day one to their, you know, their career pinnacle needs to be everybody focused at being a partner. And if they're not, then they're not worthy or something in some way. Whereas my view is very much that it's all to do with where you want to go, what you as an individual want to achieve and see whether we as an organisation can facilitate that in a way that's contiguous with our own strategic objectives. And I think it's been very interesting because we've got some, some fantastic developments here. So we've professionalised our administrative function, by which I mean that you know, we value every member of the admin team 
whatever they do within that role. Um, we've we've brought in um, the ability for them to go and qualify, do NVQs. Um, they've got a very clear career path if they want to have a career path, or that you know we can equally well be happy with them sat where they are doing a very good job. That's an example of maximising potential, and our, yeah, that's resulted in a much less fluid team. So and a, a far better operations, a far better support to the rest of the organisation. And I then translate that across the rest of the firm. And we've recently had a very senior manager in our private client tax team who got to a stage where she just didn't want to do tax anymore. She was fed up with the real rush that there is around the year end, you know, the December, January to get the tax returns in. Um, and she wanted something different and thought she'd have to leave us to find that. And actually what she's done is now transfer into our HR team, where she's absolutely fantastic at helping with our students and helping the student programme and so on. So I think it's about spotting opportunities for people and opening doors for them or enabling them to see that doors are open should they want to go through them. And so that, to me, is important. But the second thing, which is of utmost importance to me, is communication. As long as people know what's happening, then they feel secure. It's the not knowing that causes uncertainty and to my mind, you can't be a good leader unless you are communicating effectively with your team. And that doesn't mean you you shout the same message to everybody. It, you have to do it in different styles so that everybody hears it in the way that they, they best like to hear a message. Yeah, very good points. And uh, we're going to talk about culture now. I'm just mindful of something that came up in a recent panel that we did where a senior male partner had come to a man- female managing partner in a firm and said, I can't do the hours I'm doing anymore. I've got a young child and uh, and I, I'm going to have to hand in my resignation. And she said, well, what do you want? She said, well, he said, well, I need more time. I'd like to maybe do something. She said, what if we took a thousand chargeable hours off you this year? Would you stay? And he, he, he didn't think that was possible. But coming from a, a caring, compassionate leader that saw the common sense in keeping a good person on a different contract just made so much sense. So he stayed and he's really happy and the firm have adjusted and it just seemed like common sense leadership. But a few years ago, it would have been my way or the highway, wouldn't it? Well, let's talk about culture. We're hearing the phrase, not one size fits all, but one size fits one. And Nicole, you're presiding over a community there at the Association of Accounting Marketers. People are different. They want different things. They have different goals. We can't assume they all want the same thing. We talked about introverts and extroverts. How do you go about building the culture where you work? I think it's mostly about compassion and the ability to see see things through other people's lenses, Um, looking at it from not only your own perspective, but how other people are seeing it, Um, developing your self-awareness and your communication skills, your conflict management skills, um, networking, uh, people development and time management while you're building your technical skills at the same time within the groups. Um, But clear communication, as Sue said, has to be one of the biggest things to be able to build build a culture like this. Um, It's a necessary to to ensure um, initiatives and that they're effective. Uh, you have to understand what other people are doing and you have to have those inner individual interactions in order to be able to do that. Um, I'm a firm believer in getting to know everybody that's on our board, that's on our committees. Um, I'll pop in on various committee calls um, just so that they are aware of who I am and you know bring up different parts during their conversations. 
Um, because I think it's important that everybody understands each other from various aspects. Um, you know, I'm in Canada, a lot of people are all over the US and different cultures, different classes. Um, so it's really important to be able to work effectively across the board with that. And so it's a good time to acknowledge the hybrid world that we're in. You're managing over hundreds of people out, James Cooper Creston, and by and large, probably still remote or hybrid. How do you drive culture in that kind of world? It's interesting. I mean, we are we're now working on an agile working platform, which means that people can be in the office full time if that's what they would like to do, or they can work up to fifty percent of their time elsewhere. Subject to and this is the really important thing: subject to client and business business needs. And I think what's interesting is that the majority of people are probably more in the office than than 50% of their time because they enjoy that social interaction. Going back to your your, your particular point, how how do you manage culture and and, and so on in that challenging sort of hybrid world? What we did was to work very much with the IT platforms and do a lot of video. So we would do at least fortnightly, well, at least weekly actually to begin with, um, videos which could people could either could, could watch as a webinar, um, talking about what was going on, talking about the issues that people might be facing, talking about our reaction to those issues, reassuring people and making them feel very much part of our wider family. We also, as we've come out of the COVID period, so we're, we're into this sort of full-time agile type of working. We make sure that we have lots of social engagement across across the firm. So we've got you know, social events that are organised by staff. We have things that we share on our on social media and so on. Um, and just so that people feel very much part of one culture. For me, we also have you know we have six, five offices in the UK. And so it's important they all feel part of the one firm and not isolationists. So we do things, as, you know, at the end of the month, have last day of the month pizza, lunch, and everybody in the firm has a pizza at the same time. Um, and it, it might sound sort of like trite, but it's those sorts of things when they build up actually make people feel very much more part of one firm. And you're not just speaking about culture there, but you're speaking about a culture that embraces a more included workforce so they see they see themselves as part of the the big story yeah and we we very much encourage people to feedback to the partners about things that they're thinking about ideas that they might have i mean i did a meeting this morning in our oxford office of the senior management teams of the partners directors and managers and you know we were talking about how our lease and you know how the, the improvements we want to have in our building when we renew our lease and that was really interesting to sit, hear what other people's priorities are. Uh, and so we'll feed those in. Giving people a voice, as Nicole said, that communication and hearing what people have to say, even to the point of gate crashing their meetings, Nicole. So that you, here's Nicole again, but you want to know and you care. So I, I get that. Amy talked to us about how capitalize embrace a culture of diversity and inclusion? Yeah, so I think the first thing that we do that touches on communication that is really important is every single person who works for us goes through something called an HBDI assessment. And this is their whole brain thinking. And it comes out with the two most prominent colors and how people think. 
And everybody has that in their pictures. And then we educate people on how to communicate with those different types of thinking styles, but also what their working styles will be so that we can ensure that people know how to best collaborate. And I think that really, really helps, especially um, immediately understanding if you're having a conversation with somebody virtually that you may not have met before. Um, Another thing that we think is really, really important is that um, every single person who's in our company lives by the values. And those are demonstrated in different ways. And at our town hall, um, we call people out every week for a myriad of different things and how they are actually living up to that. And this is how we bring people in virtually. This is how we bring people together um, and really celebrate the culture that we have. So our values are things like better together and we're determined. And, um, you know, these things really are the lifeblood of what we do here at Capitalize. Um, And I think that that really, really helps because every single person across the company can talk about how other people are demonstrating that and are encouraged to call it out. Um, I think another thing that we do here to really try and encourage positive culture is not by um, shying away from diversity and inclusion, but it's educating people on why they might think the way they do or, um, you know, things that they might not be so understanding of. So one thing we did last year here at Capitalize was start up a women's network. And every single month we run a lunch and learn and we talk about um, gender pay gap. We talk about um, affinity bias or gender bias so that every single person in the business actually understands what those things are and they can call it out when that behavior is being demonstrated so that we're all getting better together as opposed to just sweeping it under the rug. And I think what that's done over the time has created a really open culture and community across the capitalized team. And as we've done that, I think it makes people want to be in the office more, makes people want to spend more time together because they actually enjoy their colleagues as well as work they do. These are some really good examples. I'm just thinking of what's been leveled at many accounting firms, professional firms is working in silos and it's what not what is not said and what is not discussed and what is not given a platform that often creates these barriers and obstacles to communication, which then infects culture and makes it a little more toxic. So I'll just throw it open to you. If you've got any more examples of what you do in your, your organizations, your firms to break down those barriers, get people talking to each other and, and make it more inclusive. I can tell you in my firm, I mean, Teams channels are set up for different departments to work together. Um, in the beginning, as we were first launching Teams, I mean, a bunch of us, if we were working on a project together, would just open a Zoom at like 8 a.m. in the morning. And we might just sit on Zoom and work together for two or three hours um, so that we felt like we were in the same room, even though we weren't. Uh, We've done a lot of things along those lines, um, a lot of chat. uh, Previously, it was always shied upon if you had your cell phone in your hand, um, but they've opened their mind to text messaging, uh, shooting quick messages back and forth to get instant answers because you're not sitting next to that person or they're not right down the hallway. Uh, things like that have come up. Um, we've done different classes for our staff. We've done um, events uh, virtually. Uh, you know, we've done bartender in a box where we sent out drinks and we did happy hours. We've done uh, charcuterie board classes, um, different things to keep the team engaged. Um, we have a weekly team session where we get on and just kind of shoot, you know, like what's happening in their lives. It's kind of like where everybody used to go in the lunchroom and sit and talk and 
you know, you'd hear about this person's uh, daughter having a first communion or whatever it might be. Uh, we opened a session on Friday afternoons where people can join in and just kind of catch up with their colleagues outside of the work stuff. But the team's channels and really getting our digital processes and procedures um, really tight and lined up have helped a lot with uh, our firm and just getting things moving and people feeling comfortable. We're still hybrid. Uh, we work three days a week in the office, two days at home. Uh, so people have really gotten um, used to the way that we're doing things now and appreciate it. We don't have the cafeteria so much now. I walk in the corridors, I'm meeting by the water cooler. So keeping your Zoom and your team rooms open while you do the work and checking back in, loads of great examples here. This has been terrific. Let's close by asking you all for, and I'll start with you, Sue, on this one, your best career tips that you've been given or what you would pass on, not just to the women listening, but anyone in uh, perhaps minority roles or underrepresented roles or even some of the men out there. What works in leadership and diversity and inclusion? What would you pass on to them? They want to be more noticed. They want more of a voice. They want more equity in what they're doing, more authority. What would you say to them? Uh, I, I would have two tips. The first is one that was given to me by my great uncle, um, which is, you know, was very relevant to him and indeed to my career, which is seize every opportunity. You never know what, what will come out of that opportunity. Um, because you just don't know what door will open for you as a result of that. I think that's the first one. And the second one is follow your passion. There's no point trying to fit yourself into as a, you know as a round peg in a square hole, you know, because you feel you ought to be there. What you need to do is be somewhere where you really want to be and where you feel that you fit in. And you know, there are many organisations out there that may look very starry and very exciting, but may not be you. And I feel when I, whenever I've gone into a role that has been very much me, I've been able to perform my optimum. They're very good points. There's nothing so compelling and attractive and magnetic as somebody that loves what they're doing and feels like this is the place for them. And I guess with culture as well, Sue, to finish off that point, if you can give people an environment, a working setup where that is appreciated and they feel they can do their best work, you're going to get the best out of them, aren't you? Yeah, absolutely. Super. Okay. Uh, Amy, what do you think about final career tips for perhaps females listening that are just like you coming up through the ranks. They want to make their mark. They want to get more noticed. What would you say to them? Yeah, I think my biggest piece of advice for anyone is you own your own development and don't be afraid of the conversation. So a lot of people think that opportunities are just given to you. But actually, you have the ability to control that dialogue, to say where you want to go and to ask the questions on what you need to get there. And I know it can be really, really terrifying, but if you can actually have the courage to open up that conversation, it will open up so many doors for you. And so, you know, just have the strength to do that, really. I talk a lot to women about confidence and men as well come to that. We do hear of this phrase proximity bias where you get so close to what you do, you don't feel it's remarkable. And, and women particularly have a little bit of that where they don't feel confident enough. So they will use the phrase, uh, I've been fortunate to, or I've been able to, like it was luck, or they were just in the right place at the right time. If Instead of speaking in language more of, I've earned the right, and it was due to me, and I'd put myself in a position to, so they'd been more in control of it and had their hands on the steering wheel of their own career which gives you more confidence because you've got that control, that autonomy, that flexibility. You've built that career capital where you can trade that for whatever you want in your career. So uh, they're really good points. Nicole, final words from you, words of advice, encouragement, inspiration for the people watching and listening to accelerate their career a little perhaps. 
Um, I would suggest, I mean, what Amy and Sue both said are very, you know, right on the point remarks, um, but find a mentor, get involved, seek out training, and don't be afraid to ask questions, like speak up. Um, a lot of times people are too timid. Uh, learn to share your ideas with confidence. Um, ask those questions, ask for something, ask for a seat at the table. Um, the worst they're going to do is say no, and you move on with your day. It's not the end of the world. But just learn to share your ideas, like you said, with confidence. Um, and if somebody doesn't buy into it, well, there's somebody else out there that will, that will see your vision, will see your thought process. Um, but find a mentor, that person that you look up to in your industry that's like you, that's, you know, a woman or a, you know, a black leader, whatever it may be that you're looking for, who you would aspire to be like in your career path. And, you know, don't be afraid to ask them. Most of the time, those people are so shocked that you want them to mentor you or teach them a little bit about how they got to where they are. Um, it, and it's it's helpful. It, it really is something that you need to do. Uh, don't be shy. Um, speak your mind when you need to speak it. Learn to share your ideas. Um, and learn to say things with finesse so that they're more palatable to people. But that all comes with time and just learning not to be shy to say what you think and what you need uh, and ask for what you want and need. You're telling me a New Yorker says things with finesse. I'm not buying that for a second, Nicole. But We have a certain way to finesse people. My bosses always laugh at me because they're like, you always get me to do things that I never thought in a million years I would do. And they they don't understand, you know, how I'm getting them to you know, tape podcast or do you know, they're, they're just so shocked at the things that I can get them to do. So us New Yorkers have learned a way to finesse people to get them to do the things we need them to Let's do. just have a quick fire round just to finish. You talked about mentoring. I haven't really asked you where you go for professional development, where you go for upskilling, where you go for more knowledge, where you go for training, what you listen to, who you listen to, what you watch. So Amy, just let's fire that to you. And then I'll ask the other two to be better today than you were yesterday. What's the secret? Yeah, absolutely. I think there are so many resources out there that you can lean on to educate yourself. So um, for me, old bosses um, are great. If you have anybody who's ever managed you before because they know you, they know your working style. Um, there's some amazing online networking groups that you can get into. If you are a woman who is looking to expand her career, I know in the UK, um, there's an amazing society called Albright. They do online digital subscriptions, in-person networking events, and they're all about female empowerment. Um, and I also think reach out to your network and ask if they know anybody who has gone down the career path that you were going down that they could introduce you to. So I, I always say, go old school if you need to use your network and those contacts because they could have somebody that could put you in touch um, that you might not otherwise have met. The network is powerful. Nicole, where do you go to to upskill and upgrade your knowledge? Obviously, my network, um, the people in the association, um, the people with CPA Canada, uh, the AICPA in the U.S., um, but also I, I love to listen to podcasts and different uh, shows about different things that I want to learn about. Uh, if I can't attend a webinar, I will get the recording. I will listen to it while I run. Um, I will listen to podcasts in my car on the way to work, uh, on the way home, on those long commutes. Um, but I'm always, my philosophy in life is I have to learn something new every single day. Um, and I continue to try to learn at least one thing new every single day to improve myself and my professional development. Um, and I love to take classes. 
whether it's a certification course or a CPE credit course or whatever it might be. But um, I search those out and try to take them just to build my professional development. And so you come across as somebody that's, that is at all points down the line, seek to take on new learning, new ways of doing things, uh, to constantly upgrade and stay current. Where do you go now for information? Uh, I think, well, no different to the others, really, in terms of accessing the network and having a good, strong network. I find that you get referrals from people as to what looks good, what's interesting, staying very much in touch with the community that you work within. And I talk about that in the broadest sense. So, you know, I work with a lot of tech Based businesses so it's looking at what's important to them and um, feeds through through that and following good people too you know people who you admire perhaps on a national or international footing you know as Nicole said earlier we've got this great digital world that we now operate within and something that we post you know reaches so many many people and the thing is we're reached by so many great people globally that it's it's very inspirational to 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 learn from from them as well you have access to that well in closing i'd love to thank you all for your radical candor today for sharing your insights your passion your stories to inspire not just the next generation but the current generation of leaders in accounting and fintech we all need some encouragement we all need some wisdom what got us here won't get us there and we can't do it on our own so thank you so much for sharing being a part of this and uh, playing your part in influencing women in accounting and fintech thank you thanks, thanks so much thank you improve your practice while decreasing how hard you work to make your firm really fly. Sponsored by Dext.